This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, New Life. I was thinking about that, that scripture that Maria just shared with us. And some mornings, every morning the sun rises, and yet there are some mornings when the clouds seem to hide the sun. But even though the clouds have hidden the sun, we know that the sun is there. And I wonder, just as I was praying for you offstage, I was thinking there might be some of us here today, and we read that and we know that to be true, and yet right now we, just, we don't necessarily feel like God is close. And I just want to encourage you that whether the clouds seem to be hiding the sun or not, the sun is there. And in the same way, whether you feel like God is close right now or not, God is, God is here and God wants to speak and guide and lead us closer to himself, to know him deeply, to experience the, his power in our lives. And so I'm so glad. Wherever you're coming in today, I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us. Uh, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm on staff with New Life. I'll be guiding us through our time together this morning. And you're going to want to grab two things to help you out on this journey that we're going to take together. The first is your connection card. It's right inside your program. Uh, and you can go ahead and fill that out with your name and email address. And if you're new with us, uh, don't worry. We're not going to sell that information. We're not going to abuse that information. We simply want to, to connect with you. We want to help you connect with other people. Uh, We want to connect you with the things we're doing in our city and around the world. And ultimately, one day, we're trusting that as you take this journey with us, you will want to connect with God. And when that day comes, we want to help you connect with God. We want to be the church to do that. So we need to connect with you through your Connect card to be able to do that. So get that filled out. I'll be telling you what to do with it a little bit later on this morning. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes, because there's a ton we're going to be going through today. And it's got all the Bible verses on there. It's got some fill in the blanks. And you can take that home with you. You can look at it throughout the week, and you can use it. Uh, You're really going to want to grab that and take some notes as we go through today. Well, if you've missed the last couple weeks or if you're new with us today, we are right smack in the middle of a series that we're calling Dangerous Journey. And Dangerous Journey is all about living a life where we step outside of our comfort zones, where we follow God wherever He leads us, so that God can do in our lives what only God can do in our lives. So that as we follow after Him, uh, He can do miracles and wonders in our, in our marriage, in, in, our, in our finances, uh, in our parenting, in our friendships. We want to be the kind of people who knows God so fully, who experience God so fully, uh, that we see God doing what only God can do. Because God's great desire for us is not that we would have an ordinary life, but that we would have an extraordinary life with Him. And we're doing it by looking at a group of people in the Old Testament called the Nation of Israel. And we're going through the book of Joshua together. And like I say, if you're brand new with us, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, basically what you need to know is that there's this nation called Israel in the Old Testament. God called them. Uh, God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And someday I'm going to give you a promised land, an incredible land that's going to be your possession. Well, after God made that promise, hundreds of years passed. And this nation did actually grow and prosper, but they became so big that the Egyptians came and ruled over them, and they were in slavery for 400 years under Egyptian rule. And then at some point, as they were crying out to God, God raised up a leader named Moses. And Moses helped the people find freedom from the Egyptians. He led them through the Red Sea into this place called the Wilderness, and he led them to the edge of a river called the Jordan River, to the edge of the Promised Land, the land that God wanted for the people. And then right when he got there, he died. 
And this new leader named Joshua raised up, and God said to Joshua, I'm going to use you to lead the people into the promised land, to take this new ground that I want for them. And uh, so in order to do that, you need to prepare the people. And he didn't give them a war strategy. Uh, What he said to Joshua was, tell the people to consecrate themselves. And consecrate is kind of this, this ancient, funky word. Basically, it means this. Tell the people to set themselves apart, to set themselves apart from the rest of the world, to be holy as they follow after, after me. And he said this because the rest of the world was, was doing it on their own, and they were doing okay, but God loved his people so much that he wanted better for them than okay. He wanted great things for their lives. He wanted great things for their nation. He wanted great things for their family. So he said, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, and I'm going to do wonders in your midst. And in the same way, in the same way, we believe God has us on an incredible journey as a church. God is, is doing something right now in our community. He's just, he's doing something. We're seeing people give their lives to Jesus and get baptized and, and join small groups. Our groups are filling up like crazy. You'll hear more about small groups later on today, but God's just seems to be increasing our influence in this city. And we believe, as we've been praying with our staff and leadership team, we believe that God is going to use new life to do something that no church has ever done, to change the spiritual climate in our city. We believe he wants to to do that through us. But in order to do it through us, he has to do something in us. He has to, he has to set us apart. And so we've been talking about what it looks like to be set apart so God can do in us what only God can do in us, and so that God can do through us to reach our city what only God can do through us. And for the Israelites to be able to trust God like that, and really for us to be able to trust God like that, we have to answer one key question. And this is the question that I've been asking every week of this series. It's the foundational question, and you'll see why it's so important as we go on this journey today. The question is this, do I believe at my core, do I believe that God is trying to keep something good from me, or do I believe that God is trying to give something good to me? You could say it this way, if I choose to step out in faith, if I choose to trust God, even when the odds seem stacked against me, even when and what God is saying doesn't really make sense with my life experience, if I choose to do that, is God then going to respond by taking something from me, or is he going to respond by, by blessing me, by giving something to me? If I choose to follow God in my marriage the way that God calls me to, is God going to then use that to make my marriage horrible? Or does God want to bless my marriage? If I, if I work the way that God wants me to work, is God going to then use that to make my working life just miserable? Or is he going to use that to make my working life better? See, the fundamental question, is God, is he for us or against us? If we believe that he's trying to keep something from us, we're going to walk through life with suspicion. We're going to come to church with suspicion. We're going to read our Bibles with suspicion. When things don't line up with our experience, we're just going to say, well, God must be wrong and I must be right. And if we think he's trying to take something from us, we're going to be frustrated every time we come in here and hear something we don't like. If we believe he's trying to keep something from us, we're ultimately not going to follow him and it's going to leave us feeling guilty. But if we believe that God's trying to give something to us, if we believe he wants to bless us, then what it does is is it draws us into his presence and it helps us to, to trust him, to trust him. When things don't seem to line up with our experience, we would say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you because ultimately you want good things for me because ultimately you are, you're for me. When, when it looks like the odds are stacked against us and everyone's out to get us, if we really follow after God, we're going to say, you know what, God, even though, even though it seems like things don't line up, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you because I think that you're for me. So see, this is a, a huge question 
Last week, like Maria was sharing last week, we looked at our, our, our past, and we said if we can trust God with our past, if he's been faithful in our past, then we can trust him with our future. So we looked at some different areas of our past and said, look, it, if he's been faithful, even, even in this one area where you trusted him, then if he was faithful in your past, you can trust him with your future. And the Israelites had this experience. God had been faithful in their past. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. He, 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 he gave them things. He blessed them. He, he showed them over and over again that he was for them throughout this journey into Joshua. And then today we get to one spot where one person forgets, one person forgets that God's been faithful in his past and he refuses to trust him with his future. And it ruins that one man's life and it ultimately puts in jeopardy everything that God wanted to do in and through the nation of Israel. And here's the thing about this one man we're going to talk about today. I think the thing that trips him up is probably the thing more than anything else, more than anything else, that keeps us from trusting God. I think if, if we can actually get this one thing right, then it opens the door for us to trust God in every area of our lives. But this thing that he wrestled with thousands and thousands of years ago is the same thing that for most of us trips us up from following after God. So here's the backstory uh, of his journey. This guy's name is Achan. We're going to be talking about Achan a lot. Uh, Achan was one of the Israelites, and God, remember last week, he parted the Jordan River. The, the nation of Israel, somewhere between three and a half and five million people, crossed over on dry land. And then they went into Jericho, and they, they took over, and they conquered Jericho. And it was this huge battle, and they conquered Jericho. God gave it to them. And, and the tradition in the ancient world was, when you conquered someone— uh, you would take slaves from that city or that nation. You would take the loot. You would plunder it, the money. You would take household items. You would take things. It would be your, uh, your part of the conquest for going into battle. But God did something really interesting in Jericho. God said to the people, everything in Jericho is mine. I'm putting a ban on it. You guys are going to go in there. You're going to take Jericho, and you cannot take anything, anything from Jericho. Leave it behind. It's mine. He put a ban on everything because he wanted the Israelites to look different than the rest of the nations. The rest of the nations would go and they would take plunder and they would take slaves. He said, I don't want you to do that. He said, I want you to set yourselves apart. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. It says this, and by the way, there's going to be a lot here, so track with me. This is a really good story. You got to know this stuff. The sons of Israel, they acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe, thank you very much, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things that were under the ban. Remember, they couldn't take anything. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which was near Beth Aven, east of Bethel. And he said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the man went up and they spied out I, and they returned, uh, they returned to Joshua and said to him, don't let the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up there. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. This is a small town. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up from the people to there, and then they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down 36 of their men and pursued them to the gate as far, of, as, far as Shebarim. They struck them down on the descent. 
So the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord that evening, both he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Lord, Lord, why did you ever bring the people over the Jordan, only deliver us into the hands of the Amorites so that they could destroy us? If only you'd been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, why, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemy? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. They will surround us and cut us off from the earth. And what will they do for your great name? So see, we know something that Joshua doesn't know at this point in the story. We know that Achan went in. He took something under the band. And so because he did that, God's anger burned against him. But Joshua doesn't know that happened. See, Joshua has only experienced victory. God has only done great things in his life. God's only done great things under his leadership. And then all of a sudden, these people go in. It'd be like, it'd be like San Francisco going to war against Katati. Okay? Seriously. So they send up some delegates to spy out Katati. And they say, well, they're keeping it weird, but... but but they're small. Don't, don't send the army. Just send a few thousand men. A few thousand men will literally destroy it. And so they send a few thousand men across the Golden Gate Bridge, up the 101, into Katadi, and Katadi is ready for war, and they destroy, they destroy the army, killing 30-some men, and, and the men run away, and their hearts are melting. They're saying, how, how, did, how did this just happen? And, and word comes back to Joshua that they've suffered a defeat, and he, he's destroyed. He tears his clothes and he puts dirt on his head. He's grieving. He's grieving for the people who were lost, husbands and sons who were just killed. He's grieving for the nation. Because if word gets out that this mighty nation of Israel has lost to Katadi, who's ever going to fear them? They're going to get destroyed. Verse 10 uh, continues the story. So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've even taken some of the things under the ban, which, uh, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they've also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. And then he says this in verse 13, rise up and consecrate the people. Tell the people, set themselves apart. Remind them to be holy for me. Remind them what I've done in their past so they can trust me with their future. Say to them, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, the things that are under the ban in your midst, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you've removed the things under the ban from in your midst. He says, remind the people what I've done for them. Remind them the miracles. Remind them that I freed them from slavery after 400 years. Remind them that I parted the Red Sea. Remind them that I parted the Jordan River. Remind them that I, you'll hear this story maybe a little bit later, remind them that, that I conquered Jericho, made the walls fall down when they just walked in circles around it. Remind them of my faithfulness in their past so they can trust me with their future and follow me. And here's something I want to talk about. There's a principle here that Achan experiences in his life and that the nation experiences in their life, and it's this principle. God's love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. 
but his blessings are oftentimes conditional on obedience. I just sit in that weird tension for a second, because it is. Let's just acknowledge that's a weird, that's a weird tension. God's love is unconditional. He could not love you more than he does. God knows everything you've ever done. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows everything you ever will do. And he loves you with a love that has no end, that is, that is deeper, that's beyond anything you could ever experience. I, I think about my kids. I have a, a five-year-old and a little boy, a little girl that's five, a little boy that's almost three, and, and I, I love them. I love them so much that sometimes it, it, like, it hurts my heart how much I love my kids. Parents, you, you understand this. And yet the Bible says that God loves you infinitely more than you love your kids. It's unconditional. And at the same time, this is the rub, at the same time, because he's a loving God, because he knows what's best for us, he pours out his blessing on us when we follow him. When we follow him. So think about it. God, God loves you. Those of you who are in college, high school, God, junior high, God loves you. He wants to bless you academically. But if you never study for a test, and if you try to cheat and you try to get away with it, God will not bless you academically. He loves you, and yet he will allow you to fail if you don't study for your test. God, God loves you. Those of you who are business people, he loves you, and he wants your business to succeed. And yet, he's not going to bless your business if you're padding your books. He just won't do it. So it's this weird tension. God, his love is unconditional, and yet his blessing is conditional. Those of you who volunteer in ministry, God loves you, and God wants your ministry to succeed more than you want it to succeed. He wants to use it in incredible ways, and yet he won't bless you if you're living in fear all the time and angst all the time. See, his blessing is conditional upon obedience. More than, more than you want your best for God's life, more than you want your best for your life, God wants his best for your life. More than you want your family to be everything it could be, God wants your family to be everything it could be. More than you want your friendships to be real and authentic, more than that, God wants your friendships to be real and authentic. God wants his best for you more than you want your best for you. And yet there's this tension that even though God loves us unconditionally, his blessings are oftentimes conditional. So back in the story, Joshua gets word through a series of events, God reveals to him that Achan has actually stolen money. He's stolen money from Jericho, from the battle. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 19. Joshua approaches Achan because he's a, he's, he's a good leader. And when a leader sees that someone in their, in their midst is not following God, a good leader challenges that. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, it's a term of endearment, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said this, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil the beautiful mantle of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I saw it and then I coveted it and I took it and then I concealed it in the earth inside my tent. 
and I put the silver underneath it. Joshua says, why would you do that? Why would you do that? God's been so faithful to us. God's done so much in your life. He's provided for you. He's done miracles for you. You've seen points in your life where you know it was only God who could do it. Why would you do that? Nathan's response is this. He says, I saw it and I coveted it. It looked really good. I saw it and it looked really good and I, I wanted it. And so I took it. I took it. Even though I knew God told me not to, I, I took it. And then I hid it. Before we were too hard on Achan, I just want to picture the scene a little bit. This battle's raging in Jericho. There's smoke and fire and flames, and, and it's a huge battle scene going on. And Achan's running through. He's, he's fighting because God's called him to do that. And he goes into a space, and he sees this bar of gold. And he sees this silver, and he thinks to himself, my family, my family needs to eat. My family needs to be protected. If I take this bar of gold, my family will be set up for life. This, this money, this money could pay all my bills. Yeah, I know God said not to do it, but look at it. It's sitting right here in front of me. If I take this gold, if I take this silver, I'll never have to worry about money again. You ever thought that? I'll never have to worry about money again. If I could just, if I could just win the lottery... I'll never have to worry about money again. And in that moment, here's what happened to Achan. His hope began to drift. It drifted from God to money. See, Achan's downfall was that he put his hope in riches instead of trusting in the God who richly provides. He just put his hope in riches. I want to be totally transparent with you. Can we do that for a minute? Can we just be totally honest with each other? I, I don't mean any judgment by this. No accusation. Listen, I, I want to pretend like it's just you and me. So no elbowing your spouse. No looking sideways. Just me and you. Just the two, we're just sitting down, having a cup of coffee. We're just going to talk. Just me and you. Totally transparent. Money. Money. Just me and you. Money, more than anything else, is the number one competitor that you and I face for our allegiance. Money or God. Money or God. Money or God. In different parts of the world, it's different things, but for us, where we live in Petaluma, it's money. And you could say it's money in the context of stuff, materialism, Money just in the context of the green. Money or God. And we think if we just get enough, then our family will be taken care of. Then the stress in our life will just be eliminated. If we can just get enough money, we'll have security and protection. And we don't, listen, we don't think this because we're bad people. This is right, no judgment. You're not a bad person. You and I, we don't think this because we're bad people. We think it because, if we're totally honest, if we're not careful, our hope drifts. It drifts from God to money. This is really a question about where we place our hope. And this is just me and you talking for a second, just, just a couple of friends. Not because we're bad, but because our hope, it drifts. And there's something in us like Aiken. We see it, 
We covet it. We want it. We take it. And then we hold it. We hold it. And that's not judgment. It's just the reality. It's just the reality. It's our mentality. And, and what happens when that, when that happens is that our hope, it drifts away from God. And God says, don't let your hope drift away from me. Remember everything I've done for you. If you weren't here last week, you have no idea why I'm doing this. There were rocks here last week, okay? Um, I'm going to bring those up for next service. Remember everything I've done for you in your past so you can trust me with your future. So you can trust me with that thing that competes in your heart from my affection. It's either God or money for the majority of us. Jesus said it this way, where your, where your treasure is, your heart is there also. And where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So Achan, we don't have time to get into the whole story, but Achan ends up dying because of this. It actually, it cost him his life. And I want to make a quick caveat. Uh, God is, is not generally in the process or in the business of taking your life if you're stingy. That's not God's MO. Okay, so if you're new here, don't worry. Okay, there's a wall. He, he, he won't necessarily, but he does give us these stories to pull principles out so we can see what he's doing here. But I will say this. If, if your hope drifts from God to money, it will it will diminish your life. It will hurt you. And I love you too much to let you get hurt that way. So I want to talk. Remember, this is just me and you. This is just me and you. I want to talk about some indicators that our hope has migrated from God to wealth. And I just want, you, want us to do an internal survey. Just some indicators. Here's one indicator that your hope might have drifted from God to wealth like Aikens did. You never feel like you have enough. You never feel like you have enough. If I were to ask you, how, how much money is enough money? And your answer was consistently, more than I currently have, then you know that your hope has drifted or it's drifting. It's an indicator that it's, it's moving over. You never feel like you have enough. You ever felt like that? Like, I just don't have enough. If I just had a little more. Another way you know that your hope is drifted is your self-worth is tied to your net worth. God, God loves you. He thinks so much of you that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to forgive you of your sins, to fill you with the Spirit, to give you a relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's what God thinks of you. If, if you find your value going up and down based on your bank account or based on your promotion or based on your bonus at Christmas, then your hope has, it's drifted. It's drifted. Here's, here's another one. Uh, anytime that money comes up, you get protective you get protective. So here's how you know if you get protective. Last week, I talked about God's faithfulness in our past. If last week you thought that sermon was great and you loved me last week, but right now you're having an argument with me in your head, then you're protective. Again, no judgment. It just is. If right now you're telling, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, I know where he's going. I know where he's going. He's going to talk about it. Oh, if you find yourself grabbing your, your wallet, burying your treasure, 
you've gotten protective. And again, that's no judgment. That just is. It just is. How about this last one? You're not generous. You're not generous. If you're not generous, your hope has drifted. No judgment. It's just an indicator. Remember, this is just me and you talking. Achan took it. He hid it. He hid it. When our hope drifts to money, it creates a lack of generosity in every area of our lives. So I am talking about your, your money, but I'm also talking about your time, talking about your friendship, talking about your willingness to lend your stuff out. See, when lack of generosity hits, it, it hits every area of our lives. God, God is a generous God. He gives open-handedly to us because he loves us. And he says, because I love you and I'm generous towards you, I want you to be open-handed in your life towards other people for two reasons. One, it's for your good. It's for your good. God richly provided for the Israelites. He freed them from slavery. He gave them a land that was theirs. He did miracles in their midst. He richly provided for them. And so he said to them, I want you to trust me with your money because I've provided for you. It's good for you to do it. It will draw you into my presence. God, God wants to free us from the slavery of worry and anxiety and greed that traps us when it comes to money. For our good, for our good, it's good for us to trust God with our money. The other reason why God wants us to trust him with our resources, with our money, is for his plan. See, I said this earlier, we believe God is changing something in our city. He's changing something in Roanoke Park. He's changing something in Katati. He is, he's transforming the spiritual climate and he's using new life to do it. I see signs of this all over the place. Because of, of the generosity of a number of families in the church last year, we were able to raise an extra $200,000 so we could hire a student ministries pastor. Since we hired Jake, we've seen over 50 new students come for the first time, 50 unique students come to student ministries in just three weeks. 50 different students come in just three weeks of, of having Jake here. Uh, at Christmas time, we asked you guys to, to, to donate above and beyond at Christmas, and you did because of your generosity. We raised, get this, $21,000 at Christmas time. You can clap for that. That's okay. That's good. That's, we, uh, that's you being generous. That's at Christmas time, okay, your generosity created the space for us to create a student ministries room that I think is going to be the best place for students in our city to engage with God, period, period. It's creating a space that probably in the next couple months will be done, and I can't wait just to take us through it and just to look at it and to show it to you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But God's plan for that was our generosity, and I want to tell you this. God has more to do. God has more to do. I was talking to our zone director uh, earlier today, and zone is our first through fifth grade ministry. Did you know that in some services, they have over 35 students in a single service, ranging from age six to age 11 in one service? Before too long, we're going to have to split that ministry up. We're going to have to go somewhere from first to third and fourth to fifth, or first to fourth and fifth and sixth. We're going to have to split that ministry up. But to do it, we need to hire a full-time children's pastor. We just have to. It's run completely by volunteers right now, and we love those volunteers, and they do an incredible job. But we have to hire 
a children's pastor to lead that ministry the way that God called us to. But you know what? That's going to take generosity. It's part of God's plan to reach the elementary age students in our town because you know what? They matter to God too much to leave them on the streets. It's part of God's plan to to help us do things like plant churches. We planted a church in Santa Rosa a few years ago, and we're still financially feeding into that church, but maybe God wants us to plant some more churches. Um, One of the things that I think God wants to do is right now, and if you're new to the church, I'm going to share something with you that is uh, both terrifying for me as I become the senior pastor next month, uh, and very exciting to see how God's going to work this out. We have a mortgage of four and a half million dollars. That's fun. Four and a half million dollars. I think God wants to do something there. I don't know what. I'm spending some time fasting and praying and meeting with our leadership team to figure it out, but that's a lot of money. God, I think God wants to do something there because he says to us over and over again, the borrower is a slave to the lender, and I don't want you to be enslaved. I don't want you to be enslaved. Uh, we created this missions oversight team not that long ago, and they're forming and they're sharing with me opportunities to do things like microloans in third world countries like Africa to help churches sustain and grow and develop. And I think what a great opportunity to be part of for our church in Petaluma, our little, our little corner of the world, to be able to, to care for and meet the needs of churches in Africa, along with the churches in India that we support and the orphanage in India that we support. I just think what an incredible thing. And here's the amazing thing about it. The ability to do those things that God wants us to do, the ability to take the next step to reach our community, to to influence the world, the ability to do that is sitting in this room right now. Just think about that for a second. For for some of us, that is just a really exciting thing. Wow, it's sitting in this room. For for a few of us, that's more than a little terrifying. Because you know where it's sitting. It's sitting in your checkbook. Sitting in your bank account. And God says, I, I don't want you to be closed off to me. I want you to be generous towards me. Remember the question that I, I've been asking us this entire series, and now you know why it's such an important question. The question I've been asking us over and over again is at our core, do we believe that God is fundamentally trying to take something from us or give something to us? And I asked us, we have to wrestle that question to the ground. It impacts every area of our lives. It impacts us in ways that we don't even know for surely. Is he for me or against me? If I follow him in every area of my life, is he going to bless me and give good things to me? Or is he going to take things from me? I believe God's calling us to set ourselves apart, to consecrate ourselves, to be holy in the area of our finances. Because I think more than any other area, this is, this is the tension point for us. It's the tension point for us. If we can trust him with our money, we can trust him pretty much anywhere. And I know that because, listen, I, I tell you guys, I stand up here and I say things. I meddle with, with your marriage. I meddle with your marriage all the time and no one gets mad at me. I meddle with your parenting all the time and you don't get mad at me. I, 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 meddle with, I meddle with things like serving and you're like, wow, serving. But the minute I meddle with your money, it's like crickets. And that tells me this, this is the area for our church that God wants freedom, that God wants us to be holy, that God wants us to set ourselves apart. So I, I want us to decide something. I want us to decide this, that we will not put our hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. That we will not put our hope in riches, 
And it's so easy to do because we live in a rich area. We live in an affluent area where we could put our hope in riches. We could do it. And we live an okay life. We live a pretty good life. But God's saying, put your hope in me so that I can do in you what only I can do in you and I can do through you what only I can do through you. I want to tell you, it will free you. I know because it has freed me. It has freed me. Generosity has freed me from worry and fear and angst around money. It has freed me and it will free it will free you. So I want to give you some ways to put this into practice. Really, this is where the rubber hits the road because information, which is what just came in, plus application, which is what we do with it, is where transformation happens. Information by itself just gives us knowledge, just puffs us up, just ultimately makes us kind of cynical and kind of bitter, and I don't want us to be cynical and bitter. I want us to be transformed and changed because we've encountered Jesus. So the first thing you can do is, if you don't tithe, begin tithing. If you're brand new to the church, tithing is simply this. It's giving the first 10% of whatever income comes in, the first 10% of whatever income comes in, back to God, generally through the local church. I'm not even going to fight you on that because some people say, well, maybe it's to other organizations. I'm not going to fight you. I just want you to be generous. And one of the ways God wants to do that is you give the first 10% back to God and then you trust him with the other 90. You just trust him. You trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense, you, you trust him. The second one is this. Some of us need to get our finances in order. And the key way that our church offers you to do that is through Financial Peace University. If you've never taken FPU, Financial Peace University, take it now. It's a life group we offer. It's happening on Sunday nights. Find it and take it. I want freedom for you. Some of you think there's no way I could tithe. You don't know the debt I've got. You don't know this. You don't know that. Listen, take the class. Get your financial house in order. Get your house in order. A third way is just to practice generosity by going above and beyond tithing and giving something, something close to God's heart. Give beyond the 10%. If you're already tithing, don't stop there. Give beyond. One of the things my wife and I try to do is increase by a percentage or so every year. We just try to do that. We try to make that a habit. To give beyond because we've, we found freedom and generosity and I want that for you. I want that for you. And finally this, put your trust in the God who richly provides by becoming a Christian today. By becoming a Christian today. Listen, all this stuff about, uh, about responding to God in faith is simply because God has initiated with us. God loves you. God loves you. Please, if you're, not, if you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower today, don't hear anything other than this. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that. You can pray a simple prayer of commitment to God saying, God, yes, I want to follow you. It's the best decision you could ever make because God promises to forgive you of your sins when you do that to fill you with his Holy Spirit, and then to walk with you every day from this day into eternity. It's an incredible thing. If you're ready to make that decision, you can, you can pray with me and make that decision right now. So let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. First, I want to pray for everybody. Lord, I ask, as my friends and I sit here in this room together, and we talk about that one thing that, that probably more than anything else fights, fights in our hearts and in our minds, fights for a place of authority against you. As we talk about money, Holy Spirit, would you guide us to freedom? Would you guide us to your truth? Would you give us the strength to follow you? And then in that, would you do what only you can do? Would you prove faithful? As we practice generosity, as we break the hold of money in our lives, as we live free, as we live holy and set apart in our finances. And as we're here, if you, if you sense God calling you to himself, as we continue to pray, you can, you can pray this simple prayer. 
It's a prayer of commitment. You can whisper it where you are. You can say it in your head. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering me. Yes, I believe. I believe that you love me so much that you came to this earth, that you died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Today, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come and forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.